Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Confident Faith. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 23, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Precious Event of a Believer's Death. Psalm 116 verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That is to say, the death of a believer is a precious event to God. He loves the day of a believer's death. Now, does that shock you? Well, why should it? On the day of your death, you will see your Savior face to face. You'll kneel in great joy before him, whom you have longed for all the days of your believing life. God made you for that moment. Today, I'm going to speak about the faith of Abraham at the time of the death of his wife and of the great hope that was his. In doing so, I'm going to disagree with those scholars who have argued that the Old Testament saints had no idea of what happened at death. Instead, I'm going to argue that Abraham had the hope of eternity. Even though it was not as clear and as crystallized as ours, yet that was his hope. Therefore, I think Genesis 23, in which the Bible tells us of what Abraham did in faith when his precious wife Sarah died, well, it can help us to know what what we should do when a fellow believer dies. So let's start. Genesis 23, verses 1 to 2. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Two words are used in this text. The first is to mourn, and the second is to weep. You know, some feel that his mourning refers to an accepted Middle Eastern pattern. It was done with a tearing of clothes and the beating of breasts. And weeping is simply a reference to the tears. But is this a faith-filled response? If our death is precious, why weep at all? Well, John 11:35 has Jesus standing outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus, and the Bible simply says Jesus wept. Acts 8, verse 2 has believers gathering at the death of Stephen, and the Bible simply tells us that the believers made a great lamentation over him. But why? If we're so sure that they are finally in their inheritance, why do we weep? I remember the day when Rachel, my oldest, was then 18 years of age, and she got on a plane to Austria to attend Bible college there. I knew she'd be gone a year, and I knew how much she was looking forward to that. But my heart was so heavy. You know, if the truth were told, I didn't want her to go. I remember when she walked through the gate where only those with tickets were allowed, and at that moment, I wanted her to turn around and run back and hug me and say, Daddy, I I can't leave you. But she didn't. In fact, she didn't even turn around. She just walked right through the gate with a skip in her step. It was all that I could do to simply stop from crying right there. You know, I felt the same way when my second daughter did the same thing going to Bible school in Australia. That's what the precious death of a believer is like. We know they're fine, but we weep. We weep because we love them. We weep because life will not be the same without them. We weep for ourselves who are left behind. We weep for a life that now has one important person missing. Our weeping is not a lack of faith. It's an expression of our love. But did Abraham have that hope? Well, let's continue to read. Verses 3 and 4. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. 
Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. You know, immediately after these words, we're going to see as we continue to read, is an extended negotiation for a burial place for Sarah. And it it bears all the markings of Near Eastern bartering. There are, in fact, three cycles of negotiations in which, when it's over, we find Abraham as a master negotiator. He gets everything he wants. The Hittites just don't have a chance against this guy who's used to bargaining with God. You know, he strikes a great deal, but why does he do this? You know, I've said this entire story is an example of a believer's faith-filled response to death. It begins with grief. It now moves for a desire to honor Sarah's body. Now, this account represents the first and only time Abraham the wanderer seeks to purchase any property at all. As a resident alien, he's not entitled to purchase anything, and the Hittites are not that excited about what he's asking for. He wants a permanent piece of property that will be deeded to him and his descendants in perpetuity. But why does he need property to do that? Even though she's buried in a cave and we, that is in in our culture, think of burying as happening in the ground, burial has been a custom for both Jews and Christians. It's been a custom for some religions to burn the dead, but Christians and Jews have buried them. You know, in each case, the act is symbolic. Why do we do it? You know, taken from a New Testament perspective, the Apostle Paul puts it nicely, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 37, and then verse 42. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. So please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that cremation is a sin or it's wrong. I know that many times it's a matter of economic necessity, especially when people are living in in larger cities where land is very, very expensive. But the reason why Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, the prophets, Jesus, Peter, James, John, and Paul were all buried is not just in hope of the resurrection, but it's in hope of the resurrection of the body. There is a desire to honor the body, for this body of ours is more than a shell. A good God created the body for his glory, and a good God will redeem the body in the end. But does Abraham have even a small sense of that? Well, we do know that Job, who must have lived somewhere in the same time frame as Abraham, made his understanding of this matter quite plain. Job 19 verse 26 says, And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. So clearly, Job had a sense that after death, he would bodily stand in the presence of God. But still, are we just surmising this with Abraham? See, we have, however, noticed his respect for the body. We also see his wish to remember Sarah. So let's continue to read Genesis 23, 5 to 6. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham wants to buy land. Now, in order to understand this, you have to understand Near Eastern negotiations. So let me translate. Abraham says, I want some property deeded to me permanently. In fact, I already know which piece of property I want. And the Hittites respond by saying, no, we don't want to give you this. 
but we know that you're a mighty prince. In fact, you're a prince of God. So please don't push this point with us. Let's compromise. We will give you any tomb you want, and you can bury Sarah there. That tomb will remain our possession, but you can use it. How's that? And Abraham says, that's a horrible idea. So we have to ask why. Because he wants a place of his own to remember. I want you to go ahead to Genesis 49, verses 29 to 32, and there Jacob is making arrangements for his burial site. And so listen to what he says. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, at the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah, the field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. Now, you may not know this, but to this day, the site of Machpelah is the second holiest place in Judaism, only after the site of the Temple Mount. So why? Well, it's because the life of the godly matters. We're not animals who die and are discarded. Our birth matters. Time of our marriage matters. The moments of our successes and failures matter. Our faith matters. Every prayer we've prayed matters. The legacy of faithfulness matters. And Abraham was not going to let the resting place of Sarah be forgotten because he wanted to express that her life mattered. Well, I'm reading verses 7 and 9 now in Genesis 23. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said, If you're willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as a property for a burying place. Again, this is fascinating because from the beginning, Abraham knew exactly the cave he wanted. And in true Near Eastern style, he doesn't directly approach Ephron, who, by the way, is sitting right there, but instead he's asking someone to act as an intermediary to negotiate on his behalf. But why this cave? And it is there to that question that we see Abraham's mature faith at work. As we begin 2018, we want to thank all of those who support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada as a Partner to Tell monthly partner. Your regular commitment allows for the essentials of ministry to take place, and we're so grateful. 2018 begins a celebration of our 60th anniversary of ministry in Canada, and the giving of every partner has made this milestone possible. Our goal for this special year is to surpass 700 monthly partners. Perhaps you've never given, or, or maybe two or three times a year. Maybe this is the year you become a Partner to Tell monthly partner. Our commitment will be to continue to provide the Bible teaching you expect, but more. More programs, reaching more people, using more mediums than ever before, while remaining faithful to the mission and legacy established 60 years ago by our founder, Theodore Epp. Become our next Partner to Tell monthly partner today. Call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Abraham was quite specific. He wanted the cave at Machpelah. 
The word literally means double cave or two caves. The idea was that Abraham wanted a cave that not only held the body of Sarah, but he wanted a space reserved for himself at his own death. He wanted his body to be laid beside hers. And so we ask again, why? I mean, at death, who cares? I think something very significant is at stake. You know, when I was last in Israel, I had a discussion with one of our tour guides, and I can't remember how we got into the conversation, but I told him I love the phrase from Genesis 25, verse 8. When Abraham died, says the text, he was gathered to his people. The same is said of Isaac in Genesis 35, verse 29. It's said again at the death of Jacob in Genesis 49, verse 33. When these men died, they were gathered to their people. Their people were the people of God on the other side. This was their hope. Now, my guide said, well, no. This is just a reference to the common communal tomb. Their remains were gathered and placed with the remains of their people. But interestingly enough, the phrase, Abraham was gathered to his people, is used of Abraham before he was buried. First, he was gathered to his people, and then his remains are put in a communal tomb with his wife. And so the communal tomb is only a symbol that they are together again. Laying the bodies side by side symbolizes their eternal reunion. Now, let's clarify. Jesus taught us that there is no marriage in heaven. As I said before, marriage is a temporary thing. It's an earthly institution for the birth of children and the expression of earthly love. Heaven represents an entirely different thing. So why then this desire to be placed next to Sarah? I think Jesus himself put the matter well. Matthew 22, verses 31 to 32 says, And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. In other words, all God's people are right now alive. God is the God of the living. In theology, that's called the doctrine of the communion of the saints. That's to say that the true nature of the church of Jesus Christ is that it is made up of all God's people, those on earth and those in heaven. You know, I find it sad that that doctrine is not commonly taught. Death does not break the church. We are one church in two locations, on earth and in heaven. And when Christians die, we still belong to the church in a different location. And do you know, the older I get, the more people I know that are a part of the church in heaven. They're still my brothers and sisters. I just can't pick up the phone and call. I will not see them on this side of the great divide, but I will see them again. See, I see in Abraham's desire to be laid beside Sarah an acknowledgement that he recognizes her still, not as, not as his wife, but as his sister in the faith. Now, again, some might wonder if I'm right about that. Is that really Abraham's mindset? So let's continue to read verses 10 and 11. Now, Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in the gate of the city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Now, to the untrained eye, it might now seem like this is a free offer, but in fact, it's not. In ancient law, a piece of property that is given is not deeded to someone in perpetuity. 
but it's given back to the giver at a certain point in time. And that was unacceptable to Abraham. He wants the property as his in perpetuity. Verses 12 to 16. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. He said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field, accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weights current among the merchants. It's an amazing part of the bargaining process. Abraham offers Ephron something quite unexpected. He tells him to give him a price, any price, and he will accept it without any bartering. It's almost unheard of. I wonder if Ephron thought he had just won the lottery. And by all accounts, he quotes an exorbitant price, well beyond what would be considered within the market range. And and just like that, Abraham accepts. Well, why? Because now for the first time, since he has left his home in Ur of the Chaldeans, Abraham now owns property. And the reason this is so significant is that Abraham already knows that the property he has purchased has been promised to him by God. Remember Genesis 15, 13 to 16. There God promised Abraham's offspring the property that Abraham was walking on. And why is all of this significant? See, for Abraham, the land is a foretaste of an eternal land. Let me read Hebrews 11, 14 to 16. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So Canaan was only a foretaste of a lasting inheritance. The lasting plot of ground was for Abraham a symbol of a permanent inheritance. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's a wonderful promise. You know, every once in a while, while I'm doing a funeral, I'll hear someone say of the person who has died, they passed from the land of the living. Well, I always say nothing could be further from the truth. Let me give you a little secret about this world. This is not the land of the living. This is the land of the dying. But the land to come is the land of the living, and Abraham's purchase of property symbolizes he has property in that land. See, every once in a while, I'm going to say, and especially when my kids were younger, when it was cold and raining and it was winter time and it was time to go to bed, I'd always say, man, aren't you just glad we don't live in a tent? But that's what 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1 says. This body is now a tent, but the one to come is a building. And so with this matter settled, let's read to the end of the chapter. I'm reading verses 17 to 20. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that is in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. 
The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as a property for a burying place by the Hittites. I want to tell you of a new phenomenon that has begun to happen in this country. One hears of it with ever-increasing regularity. Someone dies and the family will respond by asking for the body to be cremated and the ashes simply disposed of as is seen fit. There's no funeral. People just go on. I have observed in such cases the death of a human being is seen very much like the death of a dog. Life is ended. What more can be said? But this should not shock us. When there is no hope in the resurrection of the body, when the life of a person is no different than the life of a dog, then one disposes of the remains in the same way. In many cases, I'll even hear people saying, I want to remember them when they were still in health and full vigor. And so people are neglected when they're ill or when they have Alzheimer's and their remains are simply discarded. In contrast, the passage in Genesis describes not just the burial cave of Sarah, but also the field in which the cave was found, along with the trees that occupied that piece of ground. The site is deeded to Abraham and becomes a place where not only the patriarchs and their wives are buried, but it's also a place that the later sons of Abraham will visit. All that to say, what one does at death reflects whether the survivor has hope, faith, or whether they simply confront what they assume to be nothingness. Abraham never thought that either his own death or his wife's death was the end of his sojourn. So how do we respond with the death of a saint? We may weep as Abraham wept. I find weeping at a funeral to be appropriate and an expression of love. But Psalm 30 verse 5 says that weeping may last for the night, but there is a song of joy in the morning. Burial in the land told Abraham of an eternal land, and a double cave told Abraham there was a people of God, a church of the Savior, that will gather at the end of the age. John, I think it's important to talk about something. I, the whole idea of weeping at a funeral, and I know, you know, there's celebrations of faith. We know we're going to see our loved one again if they're believers, but it's okay to weep at a funeral. I, I would go beyond that, Ben. I would say it's necessary to weep. We have to come to terms with loss. Our hope in the future uh, is a real hope, and it is our faith, but there is loss in the present hour, and we have to experience that loss, know what it feels like, and, uh, and I think it helps us to deal with the promises of God. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again here tomorrow for Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. The legalization of marijuana. Are you ready? Prepared? Do you understand the impact on you, your community, young people? What is a trustworthy biblical perspective? And what's the impact physically, spiritually, socially? In Doubt and In Doubt Live is about connecting today's issues of faith and life with a biblical perspective. Join In Doubt's Isaac Dagno, Back to the Bible Canada's Dr. John Newfeld, Dr. Lucinda Scott, and Mark Ward, author of Can I Smoke Pot? Marijuana in the Light of Scripture, live February 22nd at the Clover Theatre in Cloverdale, British Columbia. It's a free event for young adults, so arrive early. Doors open at 6.30, event begins at 7 p.m. And if you can't make it, no worries. The event is being broadcast live on Facebook, and you can submit your questions during the Q&A segment. 
So, for all the info you need, head to indoubt.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.